0: Well, I don't know about you, but I was a little shocked to see the uh, last slide on the announcements up there that said that next Saturday is when we spring forward, already time for daylight savings. Uh, It's surprising, but I love it because I just, when it gets dark at five o'clock, I'm just ready to turn it in. Uh, Now, what that does mean is an hour less sleep. So get it Saturday night. Don't come here expecting to get it. So I'm just I'm just letting you know right now. Uh get that hour, get that extra hour some some somewhere else. We have been for several weeks, months in the uh little letter that we call 1 John and very at the very beginning we said we don't have to worry about like some of the other letters. We don't have to worry about wondering why John wrote this letter. He tells us he says in verse, chapter 1 and verse 4, we write this to make our joy or your joy complete. 2 verse 1, he says, my dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. And in chapter 2 and verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And then what has really been kind of our theme verse in 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. And from the very beginning we said there were four important things that John has been trying to get across to us. Number one, the doctrine matters. It's not enough to just talk about God being love, although that is part of doctrine. It's not enough to just, you know, uh, say we can believe whatever we want to believe. John says, no, you have to believe certain things. What we believe is important. And if you don't believe these things, then you're in trouble. And if there's some out there who are trying to teach things differently than the sound doctrine, they're liars. They're the Antichrist we talked about. So he says doctrine matters. And then he says holiness matters. Because there were some who, who were around and they were just saying, you know, as long as I have a fellowship with God, then I can do whatever I want to do. And John says, no, that's ridiculous. Are you crazy? You can't say you love God and not do what God says. You can't say you have fellowship with God and not live according to his word. So holiness, righteousness, how we live our lives matter. And then he says that love matters. And he says that, you know, you cannot say that you love God and you don't love your brothers and sisters. You know, God's love for us is what creates within us a desire to love each other. And he said, we cannot love God if we don't love one another. And then he does say that confidence matters. Several times in this little letter, he talked about knowing, he talked about confidence. And again, this is kind of in response to those false teachers who were saying that they, the false teachers, they had a special knowledge. They had special insight from God that the the rest of you people don't have. So you need to listen to me. You need to let me teach you because you're not as smart as I am. God has only revealed this to me. And over and over and over again, John says, you know, you know, you know. And I want you to know. He says, there's no special knowledge out there now. Yeah, do we study and become more knowledgeable and things like that? Sure. Sure. But there's not some special knowledge from God. He's revealed his will to all of us. And so we ought to know and have confidence. Last time we were in verses chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And today we're going to kind of backtrack just a tad and then go through verse 17. So chapter 5, verse 13, which we all ought to know just about by heart now. And then we'll go through verse 17. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death. I am not saying that we should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, I know some of you have skipped over the whole first part of that, and you're just focusing on the last part. And we're, we're going to get to that. We'll get to that eventually. But we know. And we talked about prayer a little last time I preached. We want to dig a little deeper. We know that prayer is important, don't we? Jesus often went up to the mountainside or withdrew from his disciples and the crowds to pray alone. He instructed his disciples on how to pray. Paul speaks of prayer often in his letters. How many times does Paul mention in his kind of introduction to his little letters. I pray for you often. I've been praying for you. I know that you are praying for me. And so Paul does that as well. James and Peter both talk about prayers in their letters. And then the writer of Hebrews Echoes John's theme here of praying with confidence. Did you see that word confidence that we read? And when we were in Hebrews, to me, this is one of my favorite verses out of of Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. I like the NIV. Boldly. Let's approach it with confidence. Let's approach the throne of grace boldly. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. So you put what John has to say together with what the writer of Hebrews has to say. And you kind of get this image of boldness, confidence, confidence. And just coming to the throne of God and just pouring our hearts out to Him with expectation. But let me ask you do you ever find prayer frustrating? You ever find yourself questioning, I've been praying for this or this, and it hasn't happened? Do you feel like David sometimes in the Psalms when he basically says to God, are you listening to me? Have you ever been confused as to what to pray for? I know I ought to be praying, but, but I really don't know for sure what to pray for. We talked about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago. When we talked about, you know, God's kind of in a tough position with prayer, isn't he? Sometimes because what happens when we have when you have opposing prayers you ever felt like that you're praying for one thing and you know somebody else is praying for something else maybe you've had that within your own inner self you find yourself praying for one thing and the next day you're praying for something exactly the opposite and so it does not you know lend sometimes To the idea of approaching God boldly and with confidence. When we have maybe these questions in our lives and about our prayer life. So this morning I want to explore a little more what John has to say about prayer. And what praying with confidence means. First of all, praying with confidence means that we pray for God's will. That's the whole message of verse 14. He says This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now John chapter 14, the gospel of John, chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. Jesus makes this powerful, intriguing, and perhaps misinterpreted statement. So John chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. Jesus says this. I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Wow. That's that, that pretty powerful, isn't it? It almost appears as if Jesus is saying, you have a blank check, carte blanche, whatever you want, you pray for it and I'll give it to you. We went to some, you know, we went to, we went to to Disney a few weeks ago, but, but way back when the first time we ever went to Disney, it was all totally on my dad's credit card. Everything, and if you've never been to Disney, it's kind of pretty cool. Uh, if you're staying there on the property, whatever, you get this little you get this little bracelet, and the bracelet is your ticket to everything. It gets you in the park, it gets you into your room, it gets you in the 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 parking gate, uh, and it has charging privileges, so you can go anywhere in Disney. And you can get something and all you do is you put your little bracelet up to the cash register and boop, there you go. Which when that was on my dad's credit card was really cool. It was really cool. But now, was there kind of an understanding between Papaw and the rest of us? That you know... And he said, you know, whatever you need, get it. But wasn't there kind of an understanding that within limits, within bounds? And I think that that is what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14. When he says, you know, pray for anything by name, I'll give it to you. well, it needs to be within the limitation of God's will. That's what uh, not James, John tells us. How do I know that? Well, one way I know that is because that's exactly the way Jesus prayed. He's in the garden on the night that he's betrayed. And he is praying his heart out to the father. And he says, father, if it is at all possible, take this cup from me. Let this pass. That is my prayer. That is my plea. And then he adds, but not my will, but yours be done. He understood that while, while of all people he had the ear of the father. While if anybody was in tune with the father's will, it was the son, right? How many times in the gospel did Jesus say, I came to do my father's will. I came to do my father's will. He understood the father's will better than any of us ever will. And yet there was that part of him that did not want to do this. But he said, not my will, but yours. And so we need to understand that sometimes what we pray for may not fit into the grand scheme of God's will. If not Jesus, or it is Jesus, so let's go to 2nd. To Who in the Bible, especially the New Testament, probably had the second deepest understanding and relationship with God? I'm going to help you out here because it's one of those times I ask a question and I'm fishing for a specific answer. Paul, right? Paul, Paul, Paul. We all love Paul. If anybody understood the will of God more than Paul, I don't know who it was. Who was willing to, to fit their life into the will of God. It was Paul. And in Second Corinthians Paul says. I prayed three times. That this thorn in my side. Would be taken from me. And it didn't happen. Wait a minute now. We got a contradiction, don't we? We got a contradiction in what Jesus said. Ask what you want, I'll give it to you. A little contradiction in what what John has to say here. We approach thronely and God will give us whatever we want. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And Paul saying, I prayed three times. That this thorn in my side would be taken from me. But God responded to me and said, my grace, my strength, my peace, my comfort is sufficient for you. Wait a minute. That doesn't seem to gel with what John or Jesus and John are saying. But but it is when we understand that we have to put our ha- lives and our hands into God's will sometimes he has better plans for us I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we were on this Norman's great quote God always gives us what we ask for or something better and the problem is we don't always understand the something better you see what God was saying to Paul I could take away the thorn in the flesh. But I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to give you my grace. And I'm sure at that minute, if you asked Paul, Paul would say, that ain't better. That that ain't better at all. I want the thorn gone. But God understands better than us what we need in our lives. I mentioned that song a couple of weeks ago too. Again, we're backtracking just a tad, but not much. You know, that, that country western song that says, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. How many times in your life have you prayed for something, and then years later you look back on it and you think, Whew! Dodged a bullet on that one. Glad God didn't answer it the way that I wanted it to be answered, because who knows what mess I might be in now. Well, that's the way it is in our prayer life all the time. We just don't always understand it at the end. We 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 especially while we're going through it. And it may take a long time for understand to understand that God. Didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted it. And boy, it turned out best that he didn't. So we have to ask according to his will. Secondly, praying with confidence means that we keep God's commands. Over in chapter 3, in verse 21 and 22, he says, We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commandments And do what pleases him. Well that. Only seems logical doesn't it. That God is going to listen. And and work in our lives. And answer our prayers. If we're doing what he asks us to do. If we're obeying his commandments. We cannot pray. We cannot pray according to his will. If we are living contrary. To his will. We've got to do what God says. We've got to do what God commands to have an effective prayer life. Over in Peter, Peter talked about husbands who are treating their wives horribly and saying, and your prayers aren't being heard. What? You mean how I treat other people? Affects whether or not God is listening to me? Well, I don't know any other way to say it. That's what Peter said. Yeah. Yeah. If we are deliberately, intentionally living our lives away contrary to God, why would we think He's going to listen to us? Until we make that turn to come back to Him. Thirdly, praying with confidence means remaining in Him. Or abiding in Him. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish. And it will be given to you. That fellowship with God. That John has been talking about. That abiding. That a remaining in Jesus. And allowing Jesus to remain in us. Helps provide a practical prayer life. Or a powerful prayer life. You see. We I think a sign of maturity, spiritual maturity, is our prayer life. Because the more close, the closer I become to God, the more in fellowship with him I am, the more I am in his word and allowing him to speak with me, then the more I'm in tune with his will the more my prayers are going to be more focused on the things that God would want me to be focused on. So we must remain in Christ and Christ in us. So John talks about praying with confidence, but he talks about praying with compassion as well. John focused on our love. We talked about this all throughout the, the letter, right? John focused on our love for each other. He, uh, The necessity of our love for each other, the origin of our love for each other. Where does our love for each other come from? Because God loved us first. The characteristics of our love for each other. You know, you can't say you love your brother or whatever and then, you know, just go on and not do anything. And so certainly praying for each other is a part of that love. But here, and we see that we talked about, especially in Paul's letters, Paul talking about he prayed for them, whether it would be the, the Philippians or the Ephesians or the Colossians or, or, or Timothy or Titus, and he talked about how that he knew that they were praying for him and, and all those kinds of things. But what John is talking about here is a specific kind of prayer. it's a prayer that deals with the spiritual. Not the physical. Not that Paul never dealt with the spiritual. Because he did. James also talks about praying for each other. And watching out for each other spiritually. In James chapter 5 verse 16 he writes. Therefore confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other. so So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then in verse 20, he says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Our love is manifested by our accountability to each other. Our concern over one another. Our compassion for one another. And not just the physical. Now I think we do that real well here concerning the physical. We pray for each other. We're concerned for each other. We visit each other. We go to the hospitals. We we do all these things. We write cards and we call and text and you know whatever. You know we're, we're, we're very much aware and in tune most of the time with our physical needs. And helping and being there for one another. But what about our spiritual needs? What about when we see our brothers and sisters hurting spiritually? When we see them drifting off spiritually? When we see them doing things that we know go against what God would have us to do and be a detriment to their soul? Do we reach out with compassion and concern? John warns us here, Jesus warns us not to be judgmental and harsh with one another. You remember that whole thing Jesus had in the Sermon on the Mount about why do you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when there's a big old plank hanging out of your eye? Now, we just did this not too long ago in the teenage class. And I said, don't don't misinterpret what Jesus said. Jesus never said getting the speck out of your brother's eye wasn't important. He never said that. How many of you have ever had an eyelash caught under your eyelid? Or a piece of dirt? Or whatever. Those of us with contacts, it's, it's just doubly, you know, excruciating when something like that happens. A speck in the eye is painful. And can be serious. So he didn't say. "Ah, Just let your brother deal with the speck in his eye. Leave him alone. Don't worry about it. That's not what he said. He said now you can't get a speck out of this big old plank in yours. He said get rid of the plank. In your own eye. Quit being judgmental on your brother. When you got massive things going on in your own life. Then. Once you got the plank out. Then you can work on the speck in your brother's eye. But we need to have compassion. It's, this is a very difficult passage here. John talks about that sin that leads to death. And he says, don't pray for that sin. Whoa. That kind of take you back a little bit that kind of make you wonder what exactly John is talking about here? Well, I'm going to help a little bit. Now, I'm no Greek expert, but I do read about people or from people who are Greek experts. And I do have a Greek Bible in my office. And I did take Greek for three semesters when I was at Harvard. First semester... I made an A. Second semester, I made a B. Third semester, I made a C. I'm glad there weren't four semesters. (laughs) It was definite, you know. But anyway, in the original language, the article A is not there. John does not say there is a sin that leads to death. He says there is sin that leads to death. Not a particular sin, but a group of sins, a body of sins. Now, I know a lot of you are going back to what Jesus said, right? The unforgivable, unpardonable sin, blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. Well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? I don't think Jesus was going out on some big theological limb there. Basically, what it's saying is, if you deny God is God, if you deny God's son is God's son, if you deny that God's spirit is God's spirit, you can't be forgiven. Well, now, how hard is that to understand? Doesn't that just kind of make sense? If you won't recognize God, if you won't recognize God's power, then there's no forgiveness. That just makes a whole lot of sense to me. Well, I think what John is saying here is similar. So what sin leads to death? Now, I believe that that is the unrepentant sin. The sin that one refuses to acknowledge. The sin that one continues to willfully, stubbornly, rebelliously commit over in second corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 paul has these words godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to anybody know life okay that's that's a clue we're gonna have another one of those pauses for you to fill in the blank all right Godly sorrow leads to repentance that brings life and salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. <laughs> worldly sorrow brings death. Ooh. There, is a, there is sin that leads to death. Worldly sorrow brings death. Now I'm making a correlation here. What is the sin that leads to death? The sin that leads to death is the one. In which we do not have godly sorrow and repent of. It is the one that we deliberately continue. We basically turn our backs on God. And say okay. I'm going to live any old way I want to. That kind of sin. Leads to death. Now. Now. Is there hope for return? Absolutely. If that godly sorrow is within us and we repent, then guess what? We got life again. But as long as we're living out there and refuse to repent and not do what God wants us to do, Paul, John, excuse me, says that sin leads to death. Paul says that that kind of sorrow leads to death as well. The Bible, I think, is its own best commentary. For the brother who is struggling, we help, we encourage, we rebuke sometimes, and we pray for forgiveness. But for the brother who turns away from God, who refuses to leave his life of sin, we also pray. I think John here is saying we don't pray for forgiveness because there is no forgiveness for that kind of sin. We pray for their heart to be opened up. We pray for them to come to an understanding of how much they need God and come back. We pray that somebody or something will come into their lives to wake them up so that as the prodigal son did in the pig pen comes to his senses And realizes this is where he needs to be. That is the whole lesson of the man we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember that one? The man that's living with his father's wife. And Paul says, get rid of him. Well, that's a little harsh. Kick him out of the church. Whoa, Paul didn't really say that. Oh, yes, he did. Exactly what he said. Why? To be harsh? To be judgmental? No. To help him come to the understanding that what he was doing was wrong and his soul was in jeopardy. And you know what? It worked. In fact, over in 2 Corinthians, Paul had to remind them guys, (laughs) you misunderstood me in 1 Corinthians. I didn't mean kick him out permanently, never to welcome him back. Once he's realized what he's done, once he's repented, once he's come back, welcome him into your fellowship. Praise God that he's back. Don't don't treat him as an outcast anymore. And that, I think, is what John is talking about here, that sin that leads to death. If somebody is just out there rebellious to God, we don't pray for forgiveness. We pray for understanding, we pray for an open heart, we pray for them to come back. And then when they do, and they show that godly sorrow and that repentance, then we pray for forgiveness. And God will give them life, John tells us. Our prayers for each other, we show compassion, which only comes with humility. John wants us to know that we have eternal life. And he wants us to pray with confidence. But he also wants us to pray with compassion as we pray for one another, not just about the physical things, but about the spiritual as well. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638 Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9:30 a.m. for Bible class and 10:30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6: 30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.